Hey listeners, if you've been following Getting Smart for a while or read some of our blogs, you've heard us say that it's never been easier or more important to make a difference. But how can we support learners in understanding their power to make an impact? Our difference-making series is a great place to start. Check out our book, workshops, and blogs to learn how to support your community of learners at gettingsmart.com slash differencemaking. That's gettingsmart.com slash differencemaking. All right, let's get to the show. Hello, you're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I am Nate McLennan, and today I am very excited to be joined by Maggie Favretti and Benjamin Freud, who are authors, consultants, and advocates for the environment, uh, for people, and a more sustainable future. And here at Getting Smart, we're thinking a lot about green schools. How can education play a role in building sustainable, equitable, and more inclusive futures? And Maggie and Benjamin are, are really thinking deeply about this work. So today's podcast is going to be part philosophy, part education, part future thinking, uh, and, and just a really interesting conversation on how we can think about the future and sustainable um, uh, futures for, for young people in our schools. So Maggie's the founder of Design Ed for Resilience and author of a forthcoming book titled Beyond Future Phobia. We're going di- to dive into that today. Uh, done a lot of work in Puerto Rico and 25 or more years of teaching history and public policy. Benjamin is the co-founder of Coconut Thinking. I love the name of that org. Uh, and, and my favorite line from the website or, or some of his writing is, we are not nouns, we are verbs. And we're going to dive into that a little bit because I'm super curious. But a lot of experience in, in education across the board, international schools, project-based learning, writing, consulting, university teaching, and school leadership. So Benjamin, Maggie, welcome to the podcast. Thank Great you. Great to be here. All right, well, let's let's just dive in. So, uh, Maggie, starting with you, I know you're calling in from Vermont, the United States today. Uh, for, for both of you, I'm going to ask this question. Let's start with your thoughts on the future of learning. So both of you are thinking deeply about what's happening next and what needs to happen next. So, Maggie, uh, what what's, what's going to be the big sea change, the big shift that's happening, in your opinion, as you think and write about this? Yeah, I think it's not hard to identify because it's happening already. So um, that's good news. So we have lots of models that we can look at. But I think we are in the midst in the world today of a crisis of agency where there are huge uh, fragmentations and a very big difference between what we know needs to happen and what we think we're capable of. Um, So I think one of the biggest shifts in education is going to be more toward uh, finding the the power that students have, bringing them home to it. Um, And of course, the source of all of our power as, as human beings or becomings is our holistic connection with life. So I am not only suggesting that we're moving in the direction of greater agency for students and communities, but also that it will be based on regenerative life principles and that that will help us to heal from the fragmentations splitting apart, you know, man and nature, rational from emotional thinking and so on. And I'll, I better stop there because I want to hear what Benjamin has to say about this. 
Yeah, so interesting. So a couple key vocab words we're talking about already, and Benjamin, you can then jump in. So we have crisis of agency, this idea of becomings, which you've introduced, and, and regenerative learning, which I think we're going to dive into a lot today. So Benjamin, uh, joining us today from Thailand, welcome. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, what's the big shift that's happening, or as Maggie alluded to, already happening? I think Maggie put it very well. Uh, I think this idea of going towards more regenerative uh, frameworks, uh, living systems thinking, living systems feeling uh, is certainly one that is uh, uh, emerging. Um, and, and maybe to take that in a slightly different direction, but maybe a complementary direction, uh, I think that there's going to be a real shift between uh, in, in our mindsets because of technology. And, and really what we're going through is, is a great transformation, uh, a biotech transformation, the metaverse, AI, and we are going to be pulled in two different directions. One where we can connect with anybody at any point in the world instantly. It's the closest thing to teleportation that we have ever had. So the virtual world that's opening to the infinite, and yet we have to stay very local, or we will, because the planet's burning up. So we might have to physically be a little bit more in touch with place, in touch with our community. So those two tensions are going to push learning um, in, 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 in a direction, hopefully one that is uh, going to keep us around for, for a little while. Thanks for that. We got a, a few more. Now we have teleportation. Uh, we have place in our conversation, which is fantastic. So, And I love how you've alluded to this idea that technology is moving us closer and closer to what, what, what are you know, essentially mimicking this idea when we're talking about metaverse, et cetera. So um, let's do a few definitions. Um, Benjamin, talk to me about sort of regenerative learning. Like what, what it, for, for folks who haven't heard that word before, some of our listeners may not have heard it. What does that look like specifically? What do you mean by that? It's a, it's a very good question, one that's actually quite layered. And, and, and I'll put two layers there, and, and Maggie will, will certainly add um, uh, quite a bit to this, I'm, I'm sure. Um, re regenerative, regenerative, you know, it's pretty much the same word other than the re, which is, which is uh, the, the prefix. And, and the first level is, is generative learning, uh, which is about action, which is about doing, about creating generative from the from the word to create so it's about learning and and going through this process of taking action in order to create something so that's the first thing which is actually quite different from sitting in a in a on a, in a desk and and you know being fed information and, and maybe not necessarily doing anything with that and i kind of think of it like potential energy and kinetic energy where so long we've been focused on the potential energy of skills even competencies, all these things we're supposed to be able to do to analyze a poem, to write an essay, all that. But when we take it to action, we transform that to kinetic energy. And that's generative learning. There's another level there that is a, a more philosophical level, which is living systems and, and thinking about systems where regenerative learning is about understanding that we as, as individuals, as communities, as a planet are all nested holes, that we operate really in a circular manner to really try to bring back, not, not just sustainable where we try to keep it, how's it going, but really feeding back, feeding back into those systems in order to allow us to thrive, thrive in ways that perhaps are much more diverse, like a forest, um, uh, and, and that we appreciate learning that, that is in, in a way that's asset-based rather than um, deficit-based. And, and again, just like a forest, allowing the biodiversity to really give it its power. Yeah, thinking about that sustainability piece is super interesting. It's not just about sustaining, it's about thriving. So 
Um, I, I really love that point. So Maggie, um, want to add on to the regenerative learning piece and then maybe also just touch on the becomings concept. You mentioned that word and I want to make sure we, we touch on that. Yeah, I mean, that. I'll let Benjamin do most of that, but it does play a role in what I think of when I think of regenerative learning, which draws its power from life, right, and living systems. And so Benjamin has used that phrase a couple of times. I, I, I can break it down a little bit so educators who are listening might be able to go, oh, that's how it would look in school. So principles of, of living systems are interrelationship, right? Nothing exists for itself alone or by itself alone. Coherence or wholeness of the self, but also of the system so that nothing is superfluous, nothing is wasted. Biodiversity, which Benjamin mentioned a couple of times. Regenerativity, in other words, life creates the conditions for more life. So in school, right, we might think about that the way Sir Ken, the late Sir Ken Robinson thought about teaching, where he said being a teacher is like being a gardener. And gardeners don't make plants grow. They create the conditions for life, for growth. And so our schools, right, when they're being regenerative and our learning when it's being regenerative is constantly creating the conditions for more learning, for more depth, for more biodiversity, for more interrelationship, for greater coherence. And the last piece of it is going to link to the idea that we are verbs, not nouns. And that is that living systems are continuously changing, right? That's evolution. And so our school systems as well in a very, you know, living systems uh, diversify power, right? There's not an outside agent that's saying, okay, trees, now you're going to do this. And then, oh no, you're not growing right, you plant over there. Um, and instead, right, power is diffuse and, and it is continuous, continuously evolving. So those characteristics, I think, when we think about regenerative learning, um, all need to be there in order for it to be regenerative. I, I really appreciate that. And thank you for, for moving to that verbs, not nouns um, uh, de definition and explanation, because I, I continue to be enamored by that. And the constant change, I think, makes sense. Um, uh, so, but let's think about... When we think about the modern education system, it seems like so much is driving towards this idea of economic growth, um, the idea of maybe the individual over the mutual or, or the communal. Um, and, and, and so how these seem to be contradictions to a, to a little bit about what you both are talking about. And I'm wondering if if can we have an economic growth focus and a common good focus? Is this realistic um, in free market societies? Can we drive more towards being mutualistic rather than individualistic? And 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 what has what barriers have to be removed from from our systems to make that happen? Uh, Benjamin, you want to start with that one? Sure. And 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 I'll and I'll maybe take a little bit 
back towards this idea of what it is to be a becoming not a being or, or how that how that plays out and and and, and it goes follows this story that uh, Heraclitus said you can never step into the same river twice but he was moved to the side by Plato and and uh, and, and company who really started to think about an ideal form and, and that started you know there, there's a chair and then there's an ideal form of the chair which is which is fixed or whatever it might be and ideas are 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 fixed in, 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 in the way that, that, that they exist out there. And so that created a, a dualism, started to separate us from, from this the, the mind-body-nature connections that we had. And so when we, when we moved probably about 500 years ago towards more of a Cartesian-Newtonian further separation of, of nature and, and humans, of, of making humans the, the pinnacle of, of everything in evolution, it, it really started to individualize us. And, and that really comes from a European tradition, but you don't really find that in Taoism. You don't really find that in a lot of indigenous cultures. You don't really find that in, in many places other than Europe. So Europe and, and North America have really colonized the world with this idea of separation. And of course, they brought this form of capitalism out and, and it's a mentality that has been quite colonial. And this idea of becomings and being and being verbs is, is really the, the, that, that there is this process that we're ever changing, but we're really ever changing. And it's also the quantum theory that says that. It's not just, you know, woo-woo spiritualism. And so when, when we talk about can we have common good and market capitalism, I would say no. I would say no because capitalism in itself is about accumulation. It's about social status. It's about making it so that there are, um, it's about consumerism and just that, this accumulation, this growth, this consumerism separates us from who we are, makes us want. And and so there is a a, a real um, contradiction between the two. And that's something that's going to have to be overcome. And we cannot continue to grow because the planet cannot continue to take it. Simple as that. Maggie, do you want to add on to that? Here, here. <laughs> um, I, I I laughed when I saw the question in the question democratic free markets, and I was like, okay, free markets are not democratic, and nor are they free, and so we really have been telling ourselves a lie that. And by we, I mean specifically Western industrialized society, because I think it's a real problem that when we talk about big systemic changes, the we often, you know, defaults in a certain direction. A lot of the world functioned and functioned for millennia without extractivist capitalism. And we've been telling ourselves this story that we can just extract indefinitely and consume indefinitely. And hello, no. And so we need to bring that back into schools. Probably this idea of um, where this tradition started or this approach started, uh, getting young people to really think about, hmm, why are we so focused on individualistic uh, approaches? Uh, what is that driving? Sometimes I think I'm a big fan of personalized learning because of neurodiversity and every person learns differently. 
On the other hand, it, it, it does push us very much into an individual viewpoint of thinking. So I have a lot of tension in my brain of I really want every young person to be served well and how, and how they, um, they learn best and how they can maximize their potential. And it does. Just think yeah. biodiversity, Nate. Tell me more about that, Maggie. Right? Yeah. Think unity, not uniformity. Right? So, so the love in the universe is what holds everything together like gravity, right? The love is the unifying force. Love does not demand that everything be the same. Life demands, in fact, the opposite, that everything be different and that we have a unity that is whole that only works because, in your case, people are different. And so the, this idea of uniformity is a very industrial idea, the idea that everybody ought to be able to be efficiently taught the same way, that you ought to be able to have one teacher and many students, and you know they should move along the classroom hallway like an, on an assembly line. All of that is, is misguided. Right, right. And I, and, and I, I, I see that, and I, I am pushing towards this idea of, we are focused more and more on personalized learning, which is is moving away from uniformity. But personalized learning also is a focus on the individual rather than on the mutual and the, the communal. So just just pointing that out. All right, Maggie, we're going to pivot to your book. You're deep in writing. You have retreated to the green state of Vermont to say, I'm going to get this book done. Uh, you you have a book titled Future Phobia. Um, why did you choose that title? What are you, what are you writing about there? So... What I noticed when I went to Puerto Rico, and I had been thinking about this for a little while, but you know how you have like the inkling of something that you're picking up, some vibe that you're picking up from your students or from the world, and you're not really able to articulate it. I met some students in Puerto Rico. I got sent there 10 days after the double hurricanes, um, the second one, Maria. and um, have just been meeting people and listening to people there pretty much ever since. And then, you know, allying and conspiring with people where I can. Some students, I, I said, you know, if you had four minutes of film to tell a story about change, what story would you tell? And they said, we want to tell the story of how design thinking is helping us to believe we have a future. And I said, how many of you feel that you don't have a future? And they said, quite matter-of-factly, oh, everybody. So I said, well, why do you come to school? Because school is such a future, like getting you ready for the future-oriented kind of experience. And they said, a lot of the time we don't. We come to school because we want to see our friends and the teachers who love us. So they made this little video and I started thinking, what are we going to find out, right? They started talking to make the video. They started talking to their peers and they began asking them about the future. And their peers concluded that they are afraid to think about it. They feel powerless to do anything about it. And that this was keeping them up at night and uh, disturbing their sort of daily activities. 
So I began thinking that climate anxiety is really an insufficient term. And the more I started talking to psychologists and climate psychologists who were working in this field, the more they began, they also are sharing this frustration that, you know, when they say, oh, I deal with climate anxiety, people think it's anxiety. And that is part of it, <laughs> but it's much bigger, right? It's a whole host, a constellation of fear and guilt and grief and betrayal and anger and frustration, all of which is held together by this feeling of powerlessness. So I felt I needed to write about that. I needed to say, look, this is big because powerlessness is also disabling in the sense that when you feel powerless to change something, you then start to feel what's the point, right? What's the point of going to school? What's the point of engaging in my community, right? You get this fatalistic sense that we're done for. So what I'm doing in the book is putting together two really important concepts. One is how can we gather up the generative or regenerative, as I'm calling it, because of the two concepts together, powers that we have, right? There's degenerative power in the world. We know what that looks like. And there's regenerative powers in the world. And so how can we name those? How can we find the sources of those within and among ourselves as an emergent kind of, of power built on interrelationship? And how does that teaching for agency look when we go to the source of all of our power, which is life and living systems? And so I'm combining teaching for agency, you might call it, and regenerative learning. And that's kind of what the book is about. There's only one par one chapter on the, on the really horrifying stuff. And the rest is about uh, teaching for power and life. I, you know, I, I, Benjamin, I'm going to come to you in a second because I really am interested to hear your thoughts on this. Um, Maggie, uh, A, that's super inspiring. And it, it does make me think that when in schools we develop in young people apathy rather than agency, because if you look at engagement statistics and surveys of young people, they, the engagement just decreases over time in, in many, uh, in, in, at least in, in a lot of schools, not all schools, and there's so many great schools, great teachers. Um, but then if you become an adult who is also apathetic, and then you have these large scale challenges uh, around equity, around the environment, uh, pandemics, things like that, and you just throw up your hands because no one's given you an opportunity to, to find that power, to have that agency, and given you practice in that, I, I could see we need some resolution there. So Benjamin, what are your thoughts on that? Is Maggie on the right track here? Is, 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 how does that tie into your thinking? Yeah, it's the, it's the it's feeling of anxiousness, anxiety. It's a feeling of, of being lost, of being alone. Again, it's that separation, the separateness that we have from, from the whole, from realizing that we are connected to all life, to each other. But we are feeling alienated from ourselves. I mean, this is something that, you know, the existentialists were talking about, but now we feel it even more because now we have a crime crisis, an existential crisis, to, to take the, the same word in a different way. Um, and, and I also think that, you know, one of the things about schools that needs to be thought of is, you know, people want change really fast. They want it by tomorrow. 
it's a long-term game to completely change human consciousness. Now, we might not have it because the planet, again, is burning up, but it's a big change. And I would say it's probably as big a change required in human consciousness as the agricultural revolution 10,000 years ago, as the second industrial revolution. This is, this is um, not just messing around. And so it's going to take time, but it'll take less time than it used to. So I think Maggie is completely on it. And I think that it's, it's normal. But the more people feel like this, the more I think we're going to realize that we feel like this together. And then we have to do some inner work and change our value system so that we change the system. Yeah, building on what Benjamin was just saying, it's huge. But we have a lot of sources of knowledge here. So indigenous people, when I talk with with indigenous colleagues about regenerative education, they kind of laugh. They're like, oh yeah, you mean learning? <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Right. And um Toshoka Whitko, who's also known as Crazy Horse, made a prophecy back in the 1870s. And he said, look, white people are going to try to destroy the earth. They're going to get really close. And then they're going to come back to us. And they're going to say, how do we learn how to be human again? And that is going to be the beginning of a group of people of all colors from all over the world, calling themselves rainbow warriors, who will actually change things. So one thing that's really important is this is huge, but it's not new. It's revolutionary, but it is not new. And there are experts in the world who can guide us, who are already teaching this way, indigenous educators, people who are living in the teeth of climate disaster, people who are marginalized for other reasons, and you don't have to talk to them about what it's like to be in an existential crisis. They're like, why is everybody thinking that this is like some big new crisis? We've been in a state of, uh, black and brown people have been in a state of existential crisis for generations particularly in colonized places and in the United States. So, hey, you know, we are not at the starting line here, right? We are just doing our part as inheritors of white settler colonial extractivist capitalist stories that we keep telling ourselves as if, as if they are true. But there are a lot of other stories out there. And so those people and nature herself is really going to give us everything we need to make this turn and so i think it i think you know, we're already underway yeah, i mean I, I love the idea that we're on the journey so i as you know i write a lot about place based education and benjamin you alluded to place before and 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 when people said oh that's an interesting idea i was like well this place based education is how we, how we've always learned that, that's it's not an original idea it's just we've we sort of lost it in the process. So, so Benjamin, I'm going to pivot to you and, and um, something you spoke to before. So we have a we have a, a massive sea change going on in technology. We have we're moving from a Web two to a Web three world, and that's including building um, metaverses and working in this crypto stuff, and all, all these things are happening that are that are um, moving us exponentially faster towards this idea of can 
humans exist in these digital worlds. And I would love you for you to expand on this idea that maybe the metaverse is a benefit and it allows us to connect with the entire world while staying local in a way to travel less, to make sure we're caring for local places, to think about regenerative learning. Um, are you seeing this? I mean, where is this idea? Where's your thinking here? Is this is this going to um, be a really important move as we move into this Web3 world? I'm going to signpost by saying that nobody knows. I'm going to signpost by saying that, you know, we're, we're, I'm assuming that it's going to be open, not owned by three corporations or one corporation. And I'm going to also signpost by saying that I understand that there's also huge equity issues here as well. So taking those massive things and putting to the side, <laughs> which is impossible, but we have to take the conversation somewhere. We can't do it all uh, in this one. Uh, yeah, the, the, the metaverse, if you, if you push it forward 10, 15, 50 years, imagine putting on a headset and a bodysuit, uh, a lot like Ready Player One, and you're able to go anywhere at any time with realistic graphics, physical form. You'll probably have something connected to your brain that'll uh, stimulate your brain to make you smell, to make you taste. Uh, you'll, you'll have what it, your sense of reality will change in the sense that, you know, if your brain thinks it's happening, is it happening or not? It's really going to push those kinds of, of, of boundaries. If, I, if my brain thinks I'm smelling it, seeing it, hearing it, am I? Am I not? I don't know. Uh, but, you know, if, if we think that there's no reality, then, you know, I would say that, that it is real. And so that people might think that's dystopian, but any kind of tech advance has always been thought about dystopia, you know, like the, the Luddites who, who broke down machinery. But it allows us, if nothing else, the metaverse to connect to anyone we want to. And this is why school is in real danger, because now I can go, anyone can go talk to anyone else in the world, sit with anyone else in the world and have conversations about things they're interested in and learn from one another. Consult any library, visit any place, do anything. Imagine you're learning about World War I, you put on your helmet, your bodysuit, and you go fight at the Battle of the Somme. You're fighting there. Not like a video game, but like, like a, a, a fully embodied integral experience. That's going to build humility. That's going to build empathy. That's going to really make you understand what it's like way more than anything else can be because you're feeling it firsthand. You're living it firsthand. And so the metaverse is going to allow these connections to ourselves and others that, it, that, that if everything goes well, will completely change the way we are. However, it also means that we're going to stay local because we won't necessarily need to go travel because we'll go in these virtual rooms. And then we can have these circular economies. Our wanderlust might be um, quenched. We will be able to, to be more local and more place-based to really be with our community and know what the names of the trees and the birds are and our neighbors because we can teleport virtually and stay local. And that's a game changer. Assuming, of course, that we can get through the sustainability issues when it comes to data centers. There's a lot of things that need to be resolved. There's a lot of things, but that's the idea. Benjamin, super appreciate that. Uh, Maggie, comment on that, and then I want to wrap us up with uh, some, some closing thoughts. So, uh, Maggie, thoughts? Yeah, just really quick comment, because I want to underscore all of Benjamin's cautions as well. A third grader in India wrote to me, and he said what he saw as potential in the metaverse was empathy for non-human beings and becomings. So like if you could actually see what it was like to be a tree or to be a stalk of 
corn in a giant field of corn. Like, <laughs> I think that's really cool. Out of the third grade mind, there's our future. Out of young people come the most extraordinary ideas. Um, I think there, there is, there is so each one of the. There's so much we talked about today that we could dive into for hours and hours. And you all have have sort of blown up all sorts of concepts uh, around teaching and learning and uh, schools and education. I'd love to wrap. Um, we love amplifying others here, including both of you, uh, at Getting Smart. And just if if each one of you could do uh, two things. So one is suggest a person that uh, our listeners should know about, read about, uh, sh- should be known in this world, in this thinking. And then one, what a key specific action step uh, for our listeners from each one of you. So maybe, uh, Benjamin, if you'll go first. Um, someone to amplify and a key action step. So I'm going to amplify Luca Perry, uh, who's got a podcast and a, and a consulting company called Learning Future. Uh, and he's, a, first of all, he's the kindest, gentlest, nicest, most open human being uh, I've met. He's incredibly bright, but he's doing a lot of work as well in, uh, in, in terms of environment, in terms of working with local schools, in terms of getting kids to, to heal, to heal deeply. Uh, and, and a very local effort while working internationally to get the word out and working with uh, organizations elsewhere, getting First Nations uh, to, to views to come out. And he's out of Australia. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to amplify him simply because of this idea of, of connecting one another and building networks. Let's go as far as possible from the United States and go to Australia. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and one recommendation or, or action step, Benjamin, for our listeners. Yeah, I'm going to challenge, I'm going to invite listeners, if they really want to change the system, to get rid of the word school, not use it ever again. Because school has so much value. You know, school came from the, comes from the Greek leisure because people used to go hang out and, and, and exchange ideas. That's not what school is anymore. Get rid of the word school. If you really want to change the system, that's an old word from an old narrative. We want to create a new narrative, new stories. We need a new word. And every time you enter a conversation using the word schools, you already have your mental model. Let's get rid of it. Let's come up with a new word so we can have new mental models. Really appreciate that. Yeah, the the, defi- the old definition of the original definition of school should remind us that something is not working the way it should be. So, all right, Maggie, uh, someone you want to amplify and a, a key action step for our listeners. So, one of the people that I want to amplify, there's actually two, um, is somebody that I think you may already know, um, Ayana Verdi who is the founder of Verdi Eco School. Um, And as you already know, an amazing place. And when I asked her if she wanted to be amplified, she said there's a real problem with that because people assume that any new mental model about learning is scalable. And she said, regenerative learning, place-based learning, is local. It's place-based. It's not scalable. So don't amplify me. That said, it behooves us to pay attention to what she and others like her are doing. Um, And so I would also amplify Aula en la Montaña, which is a small mountain school in Puerto Rico that was started by the community in the absence of access to school. And so, you know, if you want to see what places do when they are able to generate their own learning experiences, 
Um, then at Dr. Eduardo Lugo, who's advising them, and uh, Aula in La Montaña is the place to go. Both of them have the same request. What we have to do, and this is an action step, if we want to actually connect and empower the localized points of light here, we have to find a way to help teachers to learn and help education leaders, policymakers. Maybe they just need to get out of the way, but we, we need to have a, you know, a quote unquote teacher pipeline, a way of fostering this kind of thinking, this new narrative uh, for teachers. Otherwise we're just sort of plugging in another solution, a new operating system into an old, uh, I think I'm quoting a superintendent of schools from California who said that he didn't want to just be plugging a new operating system into old hardware. And so I think, you know, we need to think carefully about how we amplify, but also how do we best support the people who are doing this kind of work? Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that. I, one of my favorite stories about Ayana is I was in a, a call, video call with her, and it's the only time in Zoom that she was at a zoo with her students on the second floor and a giraffe uh, poked its head into the Zoom video as we were talking. And I said, all right, that's the true place-based education, the best place-based education Zoom call I've ever had. Uh, so uh, one, one parting thought about mental models, and that is the way in which we consider change and coherence. And that what we're doing is is coming home, right? We're coming home. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I think that in an increasingly complex and uncertain world, um, I, I continue to think about mutualism and how we are depending on one another in our local places, and how do we think about sort of these big picture ideas. Let me let me a couple takeaways from my end as I as I heard you all speak. It, it's been so wonderful to listen, and I feel like I have so many avenues to explore. Uh, and our listener, our listeners also, I think, will have a lot of places to jump into. Uh, one is this idea of we're moving from a potential uh, to kinetic energy. What does that mean? Which ties into this idea of of, of agency filled learning, um, which then ties into this this idea of regenerative. What are we What are we thinking about as a learn not school but learning? And what does that mean for the future? So we can overcome uh, and and allow young people to feel up optimism about their futures because they have the power to make a make a difference. So all sorts of great things um, for each one of you. If they want to learn more about your individual work, uh, website, location they can go to, um, place they could key in as they want to follow your, your thinking more. Um, Benjamin, where, 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 where can they go? Yeah, we've got a website, www.coconut-thinking.design. Uh, we've got some articles there. Uh, we've got a podcast as well. Uh, we've got some some great, great folks there. Um, and, you know, connect on LinkedIn. I'm there. I'm active enough. Um, so that'd be wonderful. www.coconut-thinking.design. All right. Maggie, obviously uh, go purchase the book when it's out, but anywhere else they can look to, to find out more about you or connect with you. Sure. I've got a little website um, called design ed for numeral four resilience.org. And there's a few articles there. They're a little old because I've been using all my writing energy on the book. <laughs> um, but you can get a glimpse into my thinking about 
power about um, regenerative education as resistance. Um, Great. Disruptive resistance. Healing is resistance. Benjamin Freud, Maggie Favretti, it has been a pleasure to speak to both of you. Thank you so much for giving your time. I think you've given our listeners some really important things to think about. Uh, and for all of you out here who have listened to this podcast, um, think deeply about this work. Connect with Benjamin, connect with Maggie, connect with your peers and colleagues and challenge each other to think deeply about um, uh, regenerative learning and agency-filled learning and, and how we can create the futures that, that uh, both young people and uh, us adults want. So thank you both for joining us at Getting Smart and thank you all for uh, listening today. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.